Amen. If you would join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that's going to be our passage today. And if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible that's there in front of you, you can find that on page 799 there in the Pew Bibles. Like I mentioned, there is a big game tonight. The Super Bowl is the most watched sporting event in the United States. Not in the whole world, because the other type of football uh, outranks it in most of the world. But in the U.S., it's the, the most watched sporting event. And because it gains such a large audience, the advertising associated with it is incredibly expensive. It goes up every year. And tonight, to advertise, to have a 30-second commercial spot, it will cost $7 million. So every one of those ads that you watch tonight, the good ones, the bad ones, the ones that make no sense, they spent $7 million to show that to you. Now, it's a big game and it's a part of our culture. And we're celebrating it in a sense here this morning, wearing jerseys, having our own version of the Super Bowl, soup and bowls after the service. And the Corinthians had their own version of the Super Bowl. They had the Isthmian Games. It was this major cultural event. And they didn't have football, but they had races and they had wrestling and perhaps maybe even boxing. And I think Paul was a sports fan because he refers to sports in a couple of his letters. But even if he wasn't, he knew that the Corinthians would be able to identify with it. And he uses it as an analogy in his letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthians had a lot of problems. And this letter was written to try to straighten out all of their issues. And this analogy that he gives, that we're going to read today, it falls in the middle of this discussion about what is lawful and what isn't. And that's not saying what's lawful in Corinth, but what is lawful for a Christian to do. What's against the rules and what isn't against the rules. Over the years, because the NFL wants to protect their brand and they want people to continue to tune in and to watch the game. They want to be able to charge more and more for the television rights and more and more for the advertising. They have made changes to the rules that they think will be the most popular. So for example, it's a big deal today if you hit a quarterback. Years ago, that was kind of the point of the game. But today, they are protecting quarterbacks because the quarterbacks are the stars, and they know that people tune in to see the stars play. They're protecting their brand. They've made changes to how replay can factor into the decisions of the game because they know that when people at home can see what happened better than the ref on the field, everyone gets upset, and they feel like the game isn't fair or that it's rigged. And nobody likes to play a game that's unfair. And nobody likes to watch a game that's unfair. This past week in our Alpha courses, there was a, kind of a silly sketch that was done. There's a guy, he's looking at a golf ball, and there's broadcasters talking about, this is a really important putt, I wonder how he's going to approach it. And the guy just stands up, walks over, and picks the golf ball up and puts it in the hole. And the broadcasters go, oh, what a smart play. Didn't see that coming, right? And the, the, the point of the sketch is that if there were no rules, if people would just play the game however they wanted, that would be incredibly unfair. If there were no rules in tonight's game, no one would want 
to watch. Now, I know that there are many of you here that if you're going to a Super Bowl gathering with family or friends, it's because you want to hang out with them and you really have no idea what's going on in the game. You have no idea who's playing. There could be people cheating and you wouldn't know. But there are some people that are really into tonight's game and they want it to be played fairly. Or if it's unfair, they want it to be for their team, right? <laughs> no one wants to watch a game with no rules. No one wants to play in a game with no rules, with no absolutes. But in our culture right now, there is this draw to a world with no absolutes. There's a draw to a world with no rights and wrongs, with truth being subjective, to everyone being able to determine their own version of reality, to write their own rules, their own truth, their own story. There's a major push to respect other cultures to the point of even if that culture is in direct opposition to yours, who are you to say that they're wrong? That's what's taking place here in Corinthians. There's some areas where they have some disputes. So read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll start reading in verse 19. Paul's been talking to them about food that they are eating and he says in verse 19, For though I am free of all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law. Not being without the law towards God, but under the law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. The issue that Paul was writing to the Corinthians about was this topic of food that had been offered to idols. And Paul says here in this, this letter that there is nothing inherently wrong with eating this food. But there were people in the Corinthian church and people in the Corinthian area that they had been a part of those idol worship services. They had offered sacrifices to these idols. And for them to eat that meat might have been a part of a ceremony. Some families, even to this day, they will offer up a meal to their God. And after they have offered the meal to their God, they will bring it back and they will mix it into their food. And they're hoping that maybe some of the food that the God ate or that he touched with his mouth will be some of the food that they eat and it'll give them strength. And so for some of the believers, this was a matter of great difficulty. It was a matter of conscience. It was a matter of participating in religion that they had walked away from, that they had turned from to follow Jesus. For them, it was a matter of conscience. And so Paul is telling the Corinthians that because it is a matter of conscience for some of the believers, out of love you should abstain so as not to offend them. Paul acknowledges that there's nothing inherently evil about this practice, and that if someone is doing this, that they shouldn't be condemned for it. But out of love, they should consider their brothers and sisters in Christ, or those who are not yet in Christ who would be confused by this practice. 
Now, let me be really clear on something. Paul doesn't say, if it offends your brother, meaning if someone doesn't like it. What he says is if it offends your brother, meaning it will do harm to their faith. Okay? I know that there are some of you in the crowd that you don't like the cults. Okay? And you might feel that it is unloving that I'm wearing a cult jersey in church today. Right? It's not your preference. You might even say it offends you. Right? But I went ahead and I wore the cult jersey this morning because I was pretty sure that me wearing it was not going to do damage to your faith. Or make it difficult for you to believe in Christ, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about people who this practice would do damage to their faith or be a stumbling block to them walking with Jesus. That's what he's referring to. And we apply it inappropriately if we try to use it to make people stop doing things we don't like, right? That's not my preference, so if you love me, you'll stop, right? What Paul's talking about is people that this would be a stumbling block to their faith. So what Paul is showing us here is that this is a subjective issue. That it's not objectively wrong, but there might be people, subjects involved, and where the loving thing to do would be abstain from this practice. But then Paul goes on to talk about issues that are not subjective, but are objective. That no matter who's involved, are right. So look with me at verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race run, all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Here's where Paul refers to the games. The Isthmian games, the Olympic games, forerunners to the Olympic games. And he says, all of them run, but only one wins the prize. Now, in this race that we're running in the Christian life, Thankfully, it's not just the best Christian who wins, right? But rather, we can all win the prize. The key here is not finishing first. The key here is finishing. It's making it across the finish line. It's putting our faith in Christ and running after him all the days of our lives. We are not running so that we will win, but rather we're running so that we will finish. And what Paul's referring to here is that there are some things that if we participate in them, they will take us out. There are some sins that will entrap us, some sins that will trip us, they will ruin us, they will harm our faith. Paul says the last thing I want to do is end up disqualified, run outside the boundaries, take a shortcut. In Paul's letter to, the, to Timothy, he encouraged him encourages him along the same lines when he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. According to the rules. He's telling Timothy to make sure that he leads his church and he lives his life in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, that follows the commands of God, that follows the examples of Christ. 
So what we have in these verses, the first section that we read and now this section, we see that Paul recognizes there are some non-essentials. There are some subjective issues. But there are also some objective issues or some essentials. You see, a lot of times we try to live just in that first section. Hey, you know, you do you. Be you. Live your story. If you're a Jew, be a Jew. If you're a Greek, be a Greek. If you're from Chandler, be Chandler. <laughs> right? You do you. Paul says, yes, there are some things that they're non-essential. There are some things that they're cultural, their preference. And maybe we need to be careful that we don't allow our preferences to harm another believer. But there are some issues that are essential. And they trump culture. And they trump preference. There are some things that we are called to do and we must do. In our cultural moment, everything stays in that first group of verses. We live in a tolerant culture. We tolerate anything except for intolerance. Now, one of the biggest objections to Christianity, and the reason that we're talking about this today in the middle of this Faith and Doubt series, is that many people have a hard time with Christianity's exclusiveness, that we should be more tolerant and see that all faiths are a path to God. This has been the, the popular mantra of our culture. All, pay, all, all paths lead to God. Your truth is your truth. Your faith is your faith. Your spirituality is personal to you. And there are a couple problems with this logic. One, we don't believe that all paths lead to God. Two, we believe that our path is an exclusive path. So our faith cannot be true for us while someone else's faith is true for them. These two things cannot coincide. It's also a problem with this, not only because our truths don't congeal, but there are paths that none of us will agree with. There are paths that none of us will tolerate. Let's say that I believe that the way that I can receive absolution for my, my sins and atone to my God is to sacrifice you, to murder you. You say, oh, Pastor Daniel, that's preposterous. There have been cultures that have done this very thing, that have participated in human sacrifice, and we would say that those things are not permissible. Everyone in culture would recognize this, right? But for some reason, in our modern culture, we put those things out of our mind, and we tell ourselves that everyone can be peaceable and have their own path to God. There's a common illustration that's used by people who hold this ideology. Perhaps you've heard of it. I've referred to it in sermons in the past. It's the analogy of the three blind men. There's three blind men, and they all reach out and touch an elephant. And the first blind man reaches out, and he touches the side of the elephant, and he says, it's a cave, the wall of a cave. The second blind man reaches out and he touches the leg of the elephant. He says, it's a, it's a tree. This is the trunk of a tree. The third blind man reaches out and he grabs the trunk of the elephant. And he says, it's a rope, right? And the idea of the analogy is that all three are right because they're all using their limited knowledge of what the truth is. 
The problem with this analogy is that all three men are wrong. It's not a cave or a tree or a rope. It's an elephant. The, the presupposition of this analogy is that we can't know the truth. That our eyes, that our minds, that we don't have the ability to see the whole picture. But we believe that God has revealed the whole picture in the person of Jesus Christ and through his word. People say things like there's no absolute truth. And the problem with that is that's an absolute statement. When we think with a postmodern worldview, we think that there's no authority. There's nothing that we can really trust in. And this leads to us saying things like, well, I believe. Well, I believe. And church, let me encourage us to be careful that we don't preface all of our statements with I think and I believe the way I see it. Because when we do that, we put ourselves in that position of authority like Pastor Eric preached to us about a few weeks back. We should preface our statements of what we believe, not on what we think or what we feel, but on what God's word says. That is our authority. It's not us. It's on what God has revealed to us. There's another problem with this idea that all paths lead to God. The problem is that everyone believes in some sense of morality. Now, you and I might disagree about which jersey you should wear today. And believers disagree on issues like offering meat to idols. But we can probably get to some point where we all agree that murder is wrong. Right? That rape is wrong. And we know that there has to be some basis for these statements. Some would say, well, we know that that's wrong because it's harmful to, to the culture. It's harmful to other people. But if we allow these morality questions to be, be determined by popular opinion or personal opinion, we have an issue. Because there have been times when the popular opinion was incredibly wrong. There have been cultures where the popular opinion was that slavery was okay. And it wasn't. There have been times where the popular opinion was that you could eradicate a certain race. And that's not all right. We also know that we can't leave morality up to personal opinion, right? We don't ask criminals, do you think what you did was wrong? Morality can't be based upon popular opinion or personal opinion. It must be grounded in something greater. It must be bound on some authority. And so when Paul refers to running this race and running according to the rules and running according to the course that's laid out, he's referring to something that has authority, that has morality. And because there is this authority and this morality, Paul is able to run certainly. What is it that he says here? He says, I don't run with uncertainty. What he's saying is, I don't run ignorant. I don't run unaware of what the rules are. Right? Occasionally there will be a moment in a football game where a player will make just a really foolish decision. 
And it's often not because they don't understand the rules, but because they've forgotten them, right? This also can happen because there are guys who play on either side of the ball. There's a group that plays only offense most of the time. There's a group that only plays defense. And then when the ball is fumbled, they find themselves playing a different area than they're not familiar with or they're out of position. Paul says, I'm not like someone who's unaware of what the rules are in this situation. I run with certainty. And he's able to do that because there's this authority in his life. There's agreed upon rules. Adam Clark suggests that this word would be better understood if it was translated ignorant. So it could have been written like this. I do not run ignorant of what I am about or the laws of this course. I know there is an eternal life. I know the way that leads to it, and I feel the power of it, and therefore I run. When we have a certainty about the rules, when it's clear what it is that we're trying to accomplish, it's a whole lot easier to play the game. Right? Imagine I invite you over to my house to play basketball, and you get there and you go, where's the goal? And I said, oh, we don't need a goal. Well, how are we going to play basketball? We'll just play. Well, what am I trying to accomplish? All right? Tonight, when you watch the Super Bowl, there will be an end zone, a place where they're trying to get the ball. It's this agreed-upon goal. You play baseball, it's getting to home. There's this clear goal. Paul is clear on his goal. And he's clear on the path. And he's able to run seriously. Paul has this faith that is not just a belief in possibility. It is a belief in a purpose. Thomas Brown said to believe only possibilities is not faith, but merely philosophy. We don't believe in the possibilities. We believe in the purpose that God has given us. And that is what Paul is running for. And so he runs, certainly, and he fights seriously. Paul says, I'm not one who beats the air. Um, in other words, I'm not someone who shadow boxes. When the gladiators would fight in the games, it was common that they would make a big show when their name was announced or when they came out on to, into the arena. They're swinging their sword. They're swinging their axe. They're showing off these great feats. Paul's saying the Christian life is not about showing off or beating the air. The Christian life is about doing work against our sin. And when we know what it is that we're called to, when we know our purpose, when we know our mission, we're able to do that. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, it might be okay to participate in these things. Maybe there's, some, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but our purpose and our calling is to reach our community with the love of Jesus Christ and to build one another up. And so that doesn't help us, so let's leave it aside. And let's focus on the thing that we are called to. Let's focus on the path we're running down. Paul says, I'm not one that strikes merely at the air, but rather I fight. You see, no one gives their life to what might be true. And no one gives their all. No one gives themselves to what they don't understand. I invite you over to the house and say, let's play basketball. You say, where's the goal? I say, we don't need a goal. How hard are you going to play? You don't even know what's happening, right? 
Some of you come to board game night and you play games and you have no idea what's going on, right? We played a board game some time ago. Nicole did not understand the rules. And then she won the game. And on the car ride home, Lincoln accused her of playing dumb. He said, you were pretending that you didn't understand. Right? How can someone win if they don't understand? They don't know what it is that they're fighting for, that they're playing for. The players that will play tonight, they have given themselves to becoming the strongest, the fastest. They have studied game film. They have gone over plays. They've given their life to this because there is a certainty of the goal. In our culture right now, there's this idea that it's all right if everybody's truth is their own truth. And there are even communities of faith that have adopted this thinking. And what we have seen play out generation after generation after generation is that when a community of faith takes on that thinking, it's, it's, it's nothing that anyone is willing to give themselves to. They might pay lip service to it. They might feel that it's a good thing. But they're not going to serve sacrificially for it. They're not going to give their life for it. We must believe in absolutes because it's true. We must believe in absolutes because it lays out the path before us. And we must believe in absolutes because we are called to give our absolute all for it. That's what Paul is talking about. He's asking the Corinthians to do something that's inconvenient. He's asking the Corinthians to change the way that they live, the way that they practice their lives. And I don't know if you've ever asked someone to make a change. People don't like change. We don't like change. I don't like when they move stuff around in the grocery store. I don't like when I come up on construction and they've changed the lane structure. We don't like change. It's inconvenient. It's hard. Paul's asking them to make some changes for the sake of their brothers and sisters in Christ. But it makes sense because it matters. Because it's real. Because it's true. If the story of Jesus is just a nice story, it doesn't make anyone change their life. It doesn't give them hope and freedom. It's more than a nice story. It's real. Over 150 years ago, there's a man named Lou Wallace, who's the governor of New Mexico. And when you think of the governor of New Mexico, you might think of someone who stands in front of the television and talks on, on the news. Think about what it was to be the governor of New Mexico, the Wild West, 150 years ago. He was a general. He led men into battle. He, he led the taming of the West. One time on a train ride, he ran into Robert Ingersoll, who is this famous agnostic, this person who doesn't believe that, that knowing God is possible. And they have this long conversation about faith and religion, and Wallace walks away from that conversation realizing that he doesn't really know what he believes. Ingersoll is convinced that you can't know, but Wallace walks away and says, it, 
it must be possible to have some substance to what I think and what I believe. And so he returns back to his home in Indianapolis and he begins to research and to research and to research. And he learns more and more about the period of time that Jesus lived. And the more he comes to know, he comes to recognize that Jesus was as real a personality as Socrates or Plato or Caesar. And this conviction of the certainty of who Jesus is reorients his life. And he would later write in his own biography that he had become convinced that Christ was the Son of God. And he had put his faith in him. And all of that research that he had done into the person of Jesus Christ, he was able to use all of that material that he had compiled to write a novel, Ben-Hur, which told about the time that Christ lived, became a bestseller, and then was made into a popular movie years later, which caused it to have a new run of sales. All of that took place because Lou Wallace wanted to know. He wanted to be able to live with certainty. He wanted to live with purpose. Friend, you and I need rules in life because they clarify for us what is the goal and what is the meaning and why am I here? There's a calling, there's a race before us and there's much at stake. Before the game starts tonight, they are going to do their best to convince us how much is at stake. They're going to tell us that Andy Reid's legacy is at stake. They're going to tell us that the Eagles have worked so hard. You know what? At the end of my life, I don't think I'm going to remember any of that. And this morning, I'm not trying to build something up like they are. I'm telling you that there's something at stake. And it's real. And because it's real, it matters. Because it's real, it gives us a mission. And because it's real, you can live your life with purpose and certainty. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, it's been our hope that this series of messages would make it clear that the only two things that Christianity can be is either of no importance or of utmost importance. God, may we not live as though it's of mediocre importance. Help us to see that it matters. Lord, help us to see that if this word we hold is true, that you are worthy of praise and glory, that you are worthy of our worship, worthy of our devotion, worthy of us giving ourselves to the mission you have called us on. Lord, I pray that you would draw each heart closer to you in these moments. We pray this in your name.